If you support the art of drag, then you should support your local artists too. Artspan is a nonprofit championing the creative community for decades, and we're proud to present our 47th SF Open Studios. Discover, explore, and be inspired by talented Bay Area artists with hosted events from studio visits to artful happy hours, pop-ups, and virtual happenings. With our new web app, you can be on the lookout for an oasis of art. With so many powerhouses of artists, you won't need an SF Eagle eye to find art near you. From September 16th through October 17th, connect with hundreds of Bay Area artists that keep our environment so unique and vibrant. Visit our exhibition at SoMart's Cultural Center from October 21st to November 21st. More at artspan.org slash SFOS. Hello, and welcome back to Drag Time with Heclina. It's me, Heclina. And before we get started, I just want to say, um, Mark, I've been getting lots of, and by lots of, I mean three or four people, uh, mentioning on the interwebs that they want to keep the song. They're, they they like our song. So All right. I, guess, I guess that proves you right. Okay. So um, we're going to go ahead and keep it. And uh, thank you, everybody, for voting and telling us about that. Uh, we have somebody very special joining us on the podcast today, somebody I know very well and whose career I'm largely responsible for. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> but first, um, first, if you love us, show it. Tell anybody you can about Drag Time with Eklina. You might even check out our Facebook page, Drag Time with Eklina, and leave us a love note. And now I want to introduce you to somebody who um, I knew her when she was a baby fledgling drag queen, weirdo, coming and performing at my club. And I was like, why is she always so into this anime stuff? You know, and uh, <laughs> and uh, actually, and then little by little, you know, she honed her craft and became like one of my main performers. And then she went on a little show called RuPaul's Drag Race. She was on season 12. And I have not really talked much to her at all since that whirlwind. So I'm glad to have her. She is one of San Francisco's very favorites. Please give it up for Rockham Sakura. Hi, Rockham. Oh, hello, Eglina. Oh my now, goodness. I'm one of so. My first, yeah, I know. It's been a while. Um, that song, in case you guys don't know, that's an iconic 90s song from back in the day when Heglina was in the group Seductress with. Uh, was it seductive? <laughs> it was eject. Wait, it was ejector. Ejector. Oh, oh, wait. You talking about Michelle Visage? Yeah, you were yeah, in the group with yes. Michelle Visage. You were the young one. <laughs> yes. I remember that. I was the one who could sing. She was the one in the lucite heels with the big blonde wig. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, that's actually that is a, from a failed single of mine in the nineties. Actually, no. It was even. It sounds like it's from the nineties, but it was, it was actually from like two thousand and. And 10. Oh, you, are you serious? 2010? Yes, yes, I know. And it was already a little bit dated then. But the guys who made it for me, they were so into that retro electronic oh. music, like uh, Erasure and stuff you've never heard of. So whatever. Well, you know what? We wear our uh, we wear we wear our failed projects on our backs and they propel us forward in the future. Did you think that you would be using it as a theme in 2021? 
Well, no, because when we started this podcast, we needed a intro and we needed something that I had the rights to. Mm. And so that little clip worked out uh, really well. And um, I guess people, so it had a second life. It had a second life. Yeah, much um, like a nuclear fallout, it has exactly, second life. Much like a, uh, a stale piece of toast or something. <laughs> I, I think that you can feed it to the birds or something. Anyway, we are here to talk about you. My first question was, are you joining us from San Francisco? But no, you're not. You're in Los Angeles. What are you doing there? So um, initially after my run on Drag Race, I was going to stay in San Francisco and really just champion the scene around San Francisco. But here's the thing. I got priced out of the city. So shit. Especially because of the pandemic and our touring and everything, we weren't able Mm -hmm. to make money. So I just couldn't afford to live in San Francisco anymore, especially with all the projects and things I was paying for. Um, I was basically breaking even on my drag again, just like before Drag Race. Um, so I moved down to LA where the food is cheap. The rent is a little bit cheaper and there's like lots of filming opportunities. Um, but I mean, with all that being said, I still do miss San Francisco in a lot of respects. Oh, and, and where do you live in LA? I live in downtown LA right next to little Tokyo. Oh, I love it down there. (laughs) It's nice. Um, I'm part of the gentrifying wave of people coming in. Well, I'm sorry. That area needs to get gentrified because (laughs) it is. No, it's true. You know how in in San Francisco, there's certain corners that have resisted gentrification. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, And by that, I mean 16th and Mission. There's like this, like that area is never, ever going to be gentrified, no matter how much uh, tech shit you throw at it. You know what I mean? And there's this one block, and I think you know what block I mean, in downtown L.A. that is just like so horrifying. If you turn the wrong way, you're on this block that is just so many homeless people, like tents everywhere. Do you? uh, That's where I live. Oh, that's are you, oh, is that's your tent, my block. Is your tent the third one from uh, that little fire hydrant? Yes, correct. Oh, but mm-hmm. I'm sure you. I'm I sure actually you've, uh, live <laughs> inside of a water tank on top of an old hotel. Oh, you're the you're the floating Asian that's girl. That's me, girl. <laughs> yes, drink my bath water, mama. <laughs> I always said you were fish. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Cut that. This is so dumb. This is so dumb. Um, um, oh God. Okay, so I, like I said in, the, in a little bit of my intro, I, I first got to know you. Sort of, you were like this annoying drag queen who was there who would fart and run away and, and laugh and stuff. And I was like, who is this person? And then your, your makeup got slowly, like slowly much more. Well, no, slowly is right. Yeah. Keep gradually, going. gradually it got like <laughs> so polished. Your performances got more polished than before I knew it. You were going on a RuPaul's Drag Race. And um, tell me a little bit way back in the history about how Rock M Sakura got started. How, I mean, obviously you're influenced by anime and, uh, and what else? So, um, I always tell people that a lot of my outfits are based on like cosplay. So like going to conventions and dressing up as characters, but rock specifically as like a performer. Um, I've been very influenced by, uh, the Bay area and the San Francisco drag scene. So, I kind of grew up in, um, I grew up in San Jose where, like Rockham grew up in San Jose where Wu Circus is there. And it's like a very big show that's like a, or not a very big show, 
but it's like a show with a bunch of like ragtag performers. We do a lot of messy numbers. We do a lot of things that are very weird and, and not typical of like a normal drag performer. So, um, I grew up in that, I grew up in that arena, really just being as weird as I possibly could pulling influences out of my butt that no one had ever seen and being messy. Um, when I started to, to really focus on my drag and like move towards like where it's funny, we think about this. I'm like, I'm, I went to where the money was. And then we go to San Francisco and, um, it's like $10, 10 to $20 more for a show. But as a, as a performer that's starting, that's a lot of money. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, for me it was because, mm-hmm. um, when I was, when I first started in Mountain View, I was doing a show every week that was tips only. And we would pull in like maybe $5 to $10 max a night. It, oh, wow. So it was yeah. very, I did drag because I just liked performing and I liked being with my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I started coming to San Francisco and performing at the monster show, you know, um, I think it's like on its 18th anniversary right now, the monster shows on its 18th anniversary. Well, the monster show as I knew it is no longer there because, um, you know, cookie dough, mm-hmm. my friend died. As far as I'm concerned, that name should have died when cookie did, Oh, I but, see. but, but they carried on with it. And I do appreciate that. But I, I was, I was like, can you just, can you guys rebrand it? You know, but whatever. And anyway. he said, no. Uh, well, I, I think that, I think they were just afraid to, you know, on, on the one hand you have this brand name, but on the other hand, it just felt weird to me, but I digress. Go ahead. Um, so I started performing with the monster show and, um, I would perform in like, like, you know, it's a very, very small stage. So I would, I would perform every week at monster show and I kind of made my way up the ladder. Um, and further down in my drag career, I actually left San Jose and moved to San Francisco to be a full-time drag performer. But little did I know that it like full-time drag performing for a lot of people does not pay the bills. Right. Right. So, um, I would have to either take a lot of jobs, um, a lot of odd end jobs or just a lot of gigs. And I also started doing, um, sex work around that time so that I could, um, pay for my rent and for my drag and everything. Um, and I, I, I landed on your stage because a couple of times I had just come to the show in drag. Um, I had like seen you offhand um, a couple of places and I just asked if I could do um, some bookings with you. Um, and I think the first show I ever did was uh, Kimchi was a special guest and I, th- I remember being like, I would love to be a part of that show. I love kimchi. I love her aesthetic. And like, it kind of goes with my anime camp um, sort of aesthetic. And I would love to perform here. Uh-huh. So I don't, I mean, I, I think personally, I'm who I am as a performer today because I got to a point where I was performing at Oasis maybe two times to three times a month um, as, as a regular gig. And... Oasis was like the biggest stage in San Francisco to really just perform your art. And I think that that kind of stage, all the amenities, having the light cues, having the big audience helped cultivate who I am as a performer Mm. because you know, you know what it is when you're on a small stage and you're making a little bit of money, sometimes you don't put as much into um, the, like the whole effort of the whole drag aesthetic. 
So I would say um, the the pressure of performing for a bigger audience led me to polish up my act a lot. Yeah, I mean, to me, it, it, it felt it was like leaps and bounds. I was like, wow, you know, she's she's really pulled it together. Mom, I, the first I, time I, I met I, you, I swear I was I was wet. My eyeliner was not in the right places, and I think all my makeup was from Daiso. I remember me and, me and Michelle Visage because you, you performed somehow the night that Michelle Visage was there. Yeah, I was in someone's number as a backup dancer. I had and a red leotard with my balls hanging out. Me and Michelle Visage were like, what the fuck is up with that one? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it was still entertaining, you know what I mean? I had a full week. I hadn't let it go. I was just, <laughs> you know, I was edging myself for about a month. And I said, <laughs> let's go with this bloated frog of a testicle that I have. Um, I, I remember being there on that stage. I was like, oh my God, I'm here at Oasis. I'm so famous now. Well, there's a lot of what you said that I want to touch on. And one is um, the whole thing about the the getting paid what you're worth. You know, like when, when I was doing Tranny Shack, I started uh, in 1996 paying the performers $10 uh, a night. Then by the time Tranny Shack ended at the stud, it was $40 a, a performer. $40 seemed to be the going rate then for the next 10 years at every show. Uh, Oasis, I was like, we got, we have to give them at least $80 or a hundred dollars. But, yeah. but the, but the only, the only way you're ever going to make money as a drag queen, uh, apart from going on RuPaul's Drag Race and becoming very successful is if you're a producer, you have to produce your own parties. Uh -huh. So I, I, I learned that really early on because uh, you have to be in charge of everything and you have to be in charge of the money. You know what I mean? Like, like the only, maybe the only two people in San Francisco who truly make a living uh, off of drag were me and Peaches Christ because we threw our own events and, and, and maybe Juanita more, although I don't know what she's, she does a lot of charity, you know, <laughs> which I don't believe in. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> you I'm heard not, it here, folks. Like Lena does not believe in charity. <laughs> that's not true. I'm just teasing. But yeah, you know that's what right. I mean. She, she donated to what uh, Jeffrey Bezos this last year. So he could go to space. Exactly. She, she did a big fundraiser for yeah. his uh, space, <laughs> space thing. And then the other thing I, I wanted to, to talk about was you, you talked about that in there that you were a sex worker to make ends meet now uh are you because uh, that came out on the show didn't it it actually didn't come out out uh it didn't come out on the show and it was one of the things for the longest time that was like kind of haunting me as like a oh god people are gonna find out i'm gonna be canceled my career is gonna be over do you really think people would cancel you for something like that? I mean, I think personally as a drag queen, all of my friends, my whole careers have either been strippers, porn stars, sex workers. You know what I mean? Uh, hardly anybody that I was friends with made a living in the actual, quote, real, unquote, world. So do you think some, do you think, I mean, who would have canceled you, those the 14-year-old girls who watch RuPaul's Drag Race or what? Well, part of it was I kind of had an inkling of what was going to happen when I was on the show like the show was airing and one of my like one of my videos from Folsom got leaked. Mm -hmm. Someone leaked it on Twitter uh -huh. and I got a mixture of people being like, wow, you go. And a lot of people being like, oh, that's disgusting. That's gross. I'm going to unfollow um, all everyone off the Rock'em Stan train. And um, so 
And do you care about of, people like that? Do you care about fans like that who would judge you like that? Or no, of course not. I yeah. mean, not not anymore. When right. you're when everything is so new and the show is airing, and there's sure. so many things that are just up in the air. Um, especially as as a you know as a local girl with no money, kind of going into this whole fray, you want to have as many like followers or people supporting you because you want this to be a lucrative career, right? And I didn't want to like spend so much money on on this endeavor and so much of my time and effort and and hopes and dreams into this project only to have it be taken away with like right, something right. stupid that I'm not not proud of, you know? Right, right. But um, I recent I came out last year because of uh, or I, it might have been this year. I came out this year because of the hate crimes that happened in Atlanta, where that guy um, targeted oh, all of those Asian yeah. massage parlors. And uh-huh. I thought it was an important time to speak about that, where it was, um, you know, I wanted to tell people like you guys need to have a lot of perspective. Um, it could be people that you don't know are sex workers. We need to make sure that we are protecting um, sex workers, especially like Asian people who are sex workers. Right. Um, and then, and, and then, of course, yeah. all these platforms that set, that sex workers would use to keep themselves safe, so they're not, so they're not on the streets, like Craigslist and you know Tumblr and OnlyFans. We're gone. They, they they keep getting censored to death, you know. So anyway, it's becoming harder and harder for not just Asian sex workers, but all sex workers. Exactly. And and, and my sex life, I know, ended overnight when Craigslist folded. But that's a different. <laughs> that's a whole different story. I don't understand, Heklina. Your door is still there and it's still unlocked. <laughs> if you guys are looking for a place to dump, Heklina is there to pump. Two. To dump. <laughs> You're such a romantic. Okay. Okay. Listen, let's move on. Hey, I, I want to talk. I want to talk about this. Can we talk about the San Francisco curse? What is this? The San Francisco okay, curse. So I, I just want to say on Drag Race season 12, you were sent home second. Mm-hmm. Following what must have been a difficult time you wrote about the San Francisco curse. Now, what do you think? You think there, there really is one or what? I don't think that there is necessarily a San Francisco curse. I think that there is a perception within the San Francisco drag community that the only reason why we could ever go home second or early on a reality show, like let's be real. It's just, it's, it's a reality show. Um, the only reason we could get sent home early is because of a curse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes the odds just aren't in our favor, you know, And um, the San Francisco curse is one of the reasons why a lot of girls in San Francisco didn't try out for the show. I remember moving to San Francisco and the first thing someone said to me was, I hope you like never getting onto Drag Race because they're never going to get a San Francisco girl. That's what they told me. They told me the San Francisco curse, you're never going to get on. Um, Well, I I think there is a little bit too. I mean, why are there three girls have have been on the show from Rochester, New York? And only two girls ever from San Francisco. One of the big, one of the big gay hubs of, of the USA is San Francisco. But I think I think that Ru- I think RuPaul has this uh, has a, a chip on her shoulder about San Francisco because San Francisco can be I'm going to use old terms, but it can be gender bending and you know uh, like the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, the Coquettes, men in beards. It's not traditional drag, and I think there is something about that maybe that that keeps uh, casting that cat keeps casting from RuPaul's drag race away from San Francisco. Do you think I'm right? I mean, if uh, part of it too is 
if that were exactly the, I mean, if that was exactly the case, I mean, San Francisco is a big hub of lots and lots of lots of drag queens, eclectic in every single style, bearded queens, queer, and like different parts, you know, different aspects of it. Um, there should be a lot more girls on the show because we represent so many different parts of drag. I think what it is, is a lot of people are scared to audition because they know they're going to fail. That's my personal belief. Um, that's, that's my personal belief going into casting too. And reality is too, a lot of people that do get cast are in areas where producers or casting people probably live like, like LA or New York, or some people get scouted there in these big venues in like Florida. Um, I, I personally think that if you are listening to this and you're in San Francisco and you would like to get on drag race, you should audition. Don't let whatever San Francisco curse, whatever stop you from auditioning. Even if you represent a different style of drag that hasn't been represented on the show, make like, be your most entertaining self because at the end of the day, what really matters to like a TV show ratings, bitch, can you bring in the ratings? Yes. And I think that was part of the reason why they, they, uh, you know, and honey, honey has actually said this herself. The reason why that she was almost invisible on her season was she went on there and she just, she, she decided she was going to be the nice person. I'm going to be the nice one. And I think that the producers are like, okay, well let's just write her out of everything because, that's not going to make for good drama. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're looking for the Queens who are going to snatch and claw and, uh, and, 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 and what have you. I mean, I so. was nice too. And I went home second. So maybe the answer is don't be nice on TV. No, because you, you have to be, um, like Bianca Del Rio, you have to be, uh, but d- just, you, you have to be a see you next <laughs> Tuesday. So tell us about Honey Mahogany's season five elimination looks. You um, obviously know about this. Yeah. So, of course, you know, Honey Mahogany was on season five. She got eliminated because she had a whole bunch of caftans. Mm-hmm. I mean, by a whole bunch of caftans, she was in like five episodes and three of them were caftans. Um, and if you're Honey Mahogany, you know that I feel like if you're Honey Mahogany, that's a disjustice to you because Honey's got is she's got such a great figure, such a great shape. Mm-hmm. And it like it did not it wasn't very flattering it was very like it was too it was very airy and bohemian and i think what uh drag race was looking for at the time was something that was like kind of leaning more into like the lady gaga avant-garde right. chicness of it all mm-hmm. um i did like i went on to the show not having any association with caftans I, I remember seeing a bunch of <laughs> i remember seeing a bunch of girls audition tapes and they're like honey if i ever see another caftan i swear i'm gonna scream In my audition tape i never alluded to a caftan at all part of it too is if you're auditioning for a show don't talk about someone else talk about yourself right. exactly exactly um, um that being said all of my runways for the rest of the season were all caftans but i didn't get to wear them <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh my god. And you must be getting you must be sick of people saying, did you mind the kimchi Trixie Mattel comparisons? Well, how about you ask me right now? Ask it. All right. Rock'em Sakura, 
Are you sick and tired of the Trixie Mattel and kimchi comparisons? How dare you fucking ask me this question? We vetted this before the podcast, you piece of... How dare you? You know what? I'm going to get my stuff and we're going to no, go. I am no, so no, insulted. No, 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 please. That's no, don't it. go. I thought, ugh. You know, people don't, don't respect Asian lives. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I am actually not tired of that question because, like, think about... I, I like to always put it into the perspective of someone who has never actually been to a drag show. You know, they, people have a limited vocabulary of what they see and what they ingest. If their only experience with big makeup is Trixie and kimchi, I'm, I know going into this, I'm going to get comparisons. Right. The smart thing to do is to capitalize off of all of it. If people are going to make the jokes and comparisons anyway, why not just do it yourself? If you do it so much that it gets annoying, guess what people aren't going to do anymore? They're right. not going to compare you anymore because it's not funny. Right, right. The minute you seem, you're in on the yeah. joke, they'll stop. You seem to have gained a lot of wisdom in the past, you know, in the past year and a half. since. And the last four more wisdom you. teeth. I didn't know they could come <laughs> back, but they grew back in. Okay, so we talk about the San Francisco curse. And, and you know, I, I talked to Jackie Cox a couple weeks ago. I had her on the podcast. And mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about the season 12 curse, only in the sense that you guys did the show and then COVID hit. Mm -hmm. So you guys, you guys got kind of cheated out on the usual lap of victory that you take in every gay bar in uh, in the world. You know, like, you know, you weren't able to – I know right before the um, – the, the lockdown happened, you know, we had to cancel all of the bookings at Oasis oh, with yeah. the season 12 girls. So, but you know, there's two parts I want to ask you about. One part is, did you feel robbed? Were you upset? Number two is Jackie Cox did say that world of wonder has been fabulous about realizing this and, and reaching out to you girls and giving you a show to do or projects to do. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah, tell me, tell me about, I mean, who could have seen this coming? You know, I could COVID. have seen this coming, Heclina. I saw this coming. Okay, did so. Did you eat the bat? Were, were you the one that ate the bat? Yes, I ate like 10 before the show. That's how I lost. <laughs> that was my diet secret. Here's the thing. On my season, the episode that I got eliminated in, I made a dress that was inspired by Bjork's virus music video. Mm -hmm. It was so I walked on the runway I had this whole spiel that like, I want to look like I'm very inspired by the way, like some viruses look and like, I think it's really oh. cool and out there. And that episode aired right when we went into quarantine. So they cut my dialogue talking about viruses. They, they cut Whoa. it, but they only cut it in the United States. So the audio is out there because it aired in the UK so Whoa. there's two versions of my runway audio, one talking about a virus and one not talking about a virus. Um, but yeah, I pretty much predicted this whole thing. I, I personally feel I was, I mean, I, we, I could say, yes, I got cheated out of an experience. Yes. But from an optimist perspective and like kind of being empathetic, everyone got cheated out of every experience in 20 like the end of 2019 2020 you know that yeah. whole thing you know it wasn't yes. just me it wasn't just us it was every other girl um that was already booked was already touring um am i angry that or not 
Am I upset that I wasn't able to go to as many places and tour and do viewing parties? Yes. Mm-hmm. But the upside is I got to learn a lot of good skill sets in quarantine. I got to learn about social media. Um, we got to build our YouTube brand. We got to build like our TikTok following. And all of that stuff would not have been possible like for me to work so intimately with my social media team if it had not been for quarantine and not being like so busy and so booked and traveling around everywhere. Right. Um, So in that respect, I'm very, very grateful. And world of wonder also, um, they did give me a show on Val presents plus um, called the rock'em sakura, sexy superhero signing spectacular. For those of you guys who would like to watch it or, or, or say that three times fast. (laughs) whenever someone whenever a queen says oh they're actually saying my show three times fast (laughs) and then you know what lady bunny shows up and then she tells a racist joke right there it's funny it's like beetlejuice can you believe it (laughs) um but they gave me that show because they told me they liked uh my personality when we did the uh we did like these countdown to the crown um, YouTube videos where we each just like did an interview and they thought that I really read well on, on camera online. So they, they gave me a show to work on. Um, the people at Wild presents have really, um, stepped up their game in the last few years. I know a lot of Queens have said like, Oh, Wild presents, you know, they don't care about the Queens. They don't treat us well. Um, they've really stepped up their game with like really wanting the Queens to, um, be fruitful in their experience and make the most of their careers. I have always felt take I may have gotten eliminated second, but I have always felt taken care of by Wild Presents, which is which is nice, especially considering that we didn't have that many opportunities. It wasn't just like um, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. they they gave us whatever they could and they gave us like online gigs where we could make money online. Um, they were scrambling to figure out ways to make sure that we were successful. Because if we're if we're not successful, then we we can't talk highly about the show. We can't like in our own respects be advertisements for the show, right? So they want us to be successful. They want us to be out there, right? Well, that's nice. That that I mean that that is nice that they're doing that. So, but I I mean I will say that you know when the pandemic did hit and I was locked up in my house here. Um, I, I did think about you. I was like, God damn it. You know, I she know was, she, she was ready to go on, you know, and do all that traveling and stuff. And uh, so I, I definitely, and I talked to Jackie about that, you know, and I'm sure other people felt the same way, but say la vie, say part, la vie. Part of it too is of course you would think that because for those of you listeners out there that don't know, heck Lena is largely responsible for me, like for some of my funding, most of my funding on drag race, yeah, for some for some reason, Rock'em Sakura knew that I had. I don't know why she thought I had money, but she reached <laughs> she reached out to me. Uh, she she needed a sponsor for her runway looks, and I did sponsor for her. I gave her tens of thousands of dollars. Well, I was and, just um, telling Mark this before um, b- before we even started recording that 
before the show, you know, you can't really tell anyone that you're going on to drag race, that you're, you know, that you're doing this big, big project. And I was asking people, I was like, oh, I have a big project coming up. Can, can I borrow some money? And most, like a lot of people were like, no, either I don't have the money or I don't know what it's for. So I'm not going to spot you. Heck, Mm -hmm. Lena was the first person that was like, okay, yeah, totally. (laughs) I'll give you the money. Uh, I'll give you the money and then we'll find a way to, to pay it back later, whatever you can. Like Heckelina was just like, damn, like bam, Jeffrey yeah, Bezos money. Yeah. The only caveat was I said, I, I want the first exclusive performance exactly. at Oasis and, and, and we got that. So yeah, but, but I, of course I thought about you when, um, when COVID hit, but yeah, it was, it, it was a crap. Was that like for- in a demoralizing way? You're like, man, this sure sucks that everyone's sick. Uh, oh, what, what is rock doing right now? <laughs> mm, yeah. I wonder. Yeah. She rock must did- be in poor health. I think so. <laughs> she looks yes. sickly enough. I was worried for years. I was worried for your health. When we were yeah. stuck in a hostile situation and couldn't go anywhere. I thought of one of your performances. I was worried about your health as I popped my AIDS medication. I I Um, thought that I thought the same thing about Heclina. I was walking down the shoe store. I just saw some big lucite heels. (laughs) (laughs) They're all sitting in my closet gathering dust. Um, uh, Okay, so I want to talk to you a little bit about. So you opened up when you were on the show, and I remember this that one time you were very you were very frank with me backstage at Oasis. Mm-hmm. about about your uh and i'm only asking you this because i've had the same issues uh, i come from a history of uh, my family has a lot of uh substance abuse issues mm-hmm. so have you um and you were pretty open about that on the show with your mother are you do you have any contact with your mother actually i do have contact with um with my mother my relationship with her actually grew after my time on the show oh wow so after I got eliminated from the show, my mom, um, I think she was just getting out of a relapse because right right before the show, she had a stroke. It was like kind of like a drug-induced stroke. And the doctors told us that she was never going to be able to talk normally again or to interact with us normally ever again. And um, I went into Drag Race knowing um, – kind of like that whole thing had happened with her. Um, she made a full recovery. She is fine. But a lot of um, time that I had spent with my mom before that was pushing her away and keeping her out of my life because I didn't need this toxic person who, you know, wasn't taking care of themselves in my life that was just going to, like, bring me down every single time, especially at such a pivotal part in my life. Yeah, right. After she had moment. her stroke... Um, she came to live with us, with me and my partner in, in my tiny San Francisco room that I share in my house that I shared with 24 other people. She came to live with me in my tiny room. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But, um, we were talking about things and, um, I remember my mom being so grateful that I had given her a place to stay. I had given her a place to live, um, after that whole endeavor, and I remember her, um, I, I remember both of us talking about her substance abuse and uh, in such um, a different way that we'd ever talked before. Because after she had her stroke, she was sober. You know, she was like legitimately sober. 
And I remember the conversation we had about drag race in our relationship was the first time I had ever looked at my mom, talked to her and said, I can't believe that we could have intelligent conversation together because the whole time I had known my mom up to that point, I was like 28. She had had a substance abuse. It was like under the influence. So I felt like I got to meet my mom for the first time after that. Um, I feel, yeah. Wow. We're really close now. Um, my mom loves my drag. She follows me. She loves, she, her thing is she loves to see how, uh, how happy it makes me. But every time I do my big makeup, she's like, don't you want to do something smaller, Anako? Don't oh, you want now, to just wear a tiny wig and some small makeup? She's why used to you, 90s um, drag. Why are you talking like Imelda Marcos? Because my mother is Imelda Marcos. I didn't know when to bring it up in the conversation. But Imelda is my mother and she's had a substance abuse Whoa. issue for 28 years. Okay. All right. I thought so. Um, okay. <laughs> I thought so. Well, no. Uh, I, yeah. You, you bear a striking resemblance to her. But no, I, I, wa- I wanted to ask you because I have had my issues with my own drug abuse. But I've never known you to be a partier. So have you? are you afraid of going down that same road if you pick up drugs or, or try anything I, i've never even known you to to drink to drink yeah i actually don't uh i actually don't drink or do drugs because mm-hmm. my main thing is i've had parents that have horrible substance abuse issues and typically um like a lot of children who come from those backgrounds can can like really mirror the behaviors that they see in their parents Um, or they can like not mirror. I'm in the situation where I've learned from my parents so much that I completely stay away from any situation where I do not have control. Right. So if I'm ever in a club or if I'm ever in a bar, do not offer me a bump. Do not offer me a shot. Do not offer me a beer. Buy me a pizza outside instead. (laughs) <laughs> or let's butt chug a red bull together something you like that heard, you heard it here everybody you heard it here mm-hmm. i'll All do right. i'll do a line of cheese whiz off your dick but that's about it <laughs> a line of sugar Ooh, a line I, of actually, sugar yes I, I bet that actually sounds good um <laughs> so and actually i've never tried that i, I wonder now, would that be a relapse if i snorted sugar um <laughs> yes okay okay uh okay now let's i'm gonna shift gears completely and, and talk about rock'em sakura under the sea uh tell us about this underwater photo shoot you recently did with uh brett stanley oh so um you know, getting on Drag Race and getting all these opportunities has really given me an opportunity to like just pull out all the things that I've always wanted to do and just finally live them like truly in my fantasy. I did an underwater photo shoot. Um, and I basically what happened was they submerged me in a pool in a big tank of water after the whole COVID pandemic. I was wearing a big um, I was wearing a big skirt with lots and lots of tool in it. It had uh, st- like stuffed animals sort of prints on it. I wore boots that had no water resistance whatsoever. And uh, I wore big makeup. So here's what happened. I jumped in the water. I jumped in this big pool. My whole outfit absorbed the water. 
the whole almost the whole pool and i swear <laughs> the shots that we took that were glamorous were not reflected in the experience that i had i feel like i almost died <laughs> i went into the pandemic a strong swimmer i came out a cement block oh my god i every every time i came up was a struggle for i think i drank more pool water then than i have ever in my whole life that's terrifying. But it was fun. Yeah. You know, some of the best experience that, experiences that we have are are just barely, like, just faintly close to death. Yeah, I, I can I can I can vouch for that. For have sure. you jumped into a pool of water before, Heclina? Have I jumped into a pool of water in before? drag and taken pictures? Uh, no, that's one thing I can say I've not done. Let's do that because he's here. Uh, in between us, in between where I am in LA, where you are in Palm Springs, let's get Hecklina into that water. If you guys want to see that, please let us know on Facebook. I'm sure a lot of people want to see any interaction with Hecklina in water. <laughs> They're afraid. They, they think I'm going to melt like the Wicked Witch. They think that the pool's going to end up like a deep pho color. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a pool in my backyard. So d does he only do underwater photos? Is that his thing? He does other photos too, but I think mm -hmm. most of his stuff revolves around like mermaids and stuff. Um, okay. That's kind of his specialty. He's from, uh, I believe the photographer is from Australia or New mm -hmm. Zealand. Uh, New, New Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah, I like that. Um, and, you know, there's just water everywhere. So it's just it's well, part of the yeah. culture. Let's put the AIDS in mermaids. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. You know, Glita. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, we're getting to the end of the podcast. I have one final important question for you, Rakim Sakura. Uh, what is your favorite memory of Heklina? My favorite? Let's see. I have a couple of favorite memories of Heklina. Um, Did you want... Um, on the stage or off the stage? Anything. Okay. One of my favorite memories is just Heckling and I used to go to the same 24 hour fitness um, in San Francisco. And I just, I walked right into the bathroom and she was on the floor, just on her knees. And there were like 12 guys all just covering her in goo. Oh, wow. That I was, mean, she was, a, she was breakdancing. That's a fantasy. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> that was always my fantasy. She, I know, I know. She, no, Heclina was always there with her trainer, and she was just like, "Look at this boy over there. You ever see uh, that? You see that big uh, dick print?" And then her trainer was always just like, "Please do a sit up, just one today. I know you're paying for the session. Just one sit up, please." It's true. He's like, "Why are you here?" And I'd be like. I'd be like, have you looked in the mirror? I'm, I'm here to stare at your ass for 55 minutes. I'm paying good money, so shut up. Um, I think my favorite memory of Heclina was probably, um, I think probably the first time that I worked in your club. And um, I remember meeting you. This isn't like a funny story or anything like that. But I do remember you saying like, um, I do remember you saying very encouraging words to me. I was like, thank you so much for having me in your bar. I'm really excited to be here. Um, this is a big opportunity for me. And you're like, yeah, well, if you work hard and you have good numbers, then you can be here whenever you want. And it looks like the crowd liked you. So maybe we'll see you again. 
Oh, so wow. That was such a small interaction, but it meant a lot to me, especially as a, a fledgling performer, because it was like, one, it was like validation and, and you know, like you had seen my stuff and, and you liked it, um, I think. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it really motivated me to be like, well, I want to come up in this drag scene here in San Francisco, and I think I can do it if I try hard enough. And so there you are. Like I started the podcast this way and I'm going to end it and saying, I am uh, responsible for Rockland Sakura's career. It's true. I slid right out of her hoo-ha. <laughs> I did. I grabbed onto her labia as tight as I could and it never recovered. <laughs> looks like a peace sign coming out of her panties whenever she performs now. Oh my God. Rockland Sakura, thanks for coming on. It's been so good to talk to you. It's been so good to talk to you too. We should, we should actually catch up in Palm Springs. I'm really yeah. into, I don't know if you know this, but I'm really into... Um, old men's penises. Well, there's lots of that here. I know. And dry weather. So two for two. I'm really into young men's penises and I'm not getting any of that. So, but anyway, whatever. Now, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm digressing again. Uh, if you want to find Rockham Sakura online, she can be found at Instagram and Twitter at Rock M Sakura. Mm -hmm. uh, her, uh, her website is www.rockhamsakura.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Hecklina. If you love us, please show it. Tell anybody you can about Drag Time with Hecklina. You can give us a tip to help Mark keep the show going. Uh, you can give us a tip. Just find Drag Time on Venmo or Cash App. Thank you all, to all of our listeners. And thank you to Rock M. Sakura. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, Drag Time listeners. It's me, your ghoul friend, Peaches Christ. And I want to cordially invite you to attend my brand new Terror Ball show happening at the historic San Francisco Mint Building this fall. I'm the writer and director of this fully immersive haunted attraction called The Immortal Reckoning. A 60-minute supernatural adventure that finds guests transported to another dimension. Yes, it's scary, Mary. You can even choose to opt in for enhanced interactivity by wearing a red glow necklace, consenting to be touched, isolated, force-fed, drawn on, or worse. And you'll want to get there early and stay late to enjoy our vampire bar, Fang Bang, featuring the best in 80s goth music, actual vampire bartenders, vampire go-go dancers, and vampire strippers. Book your tickets today at terrorvault.com and I'll scare you there, ghouls. 